Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, November 16th, 2017. still cannot believe the insanity that is passing for Christian teaching nowadays. The inmates are running the asylum. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word. Mm -hmm. It's called the Bible. And then we compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching, that's being broadcast out there onto the interwebs <laughs> and other places, is far Far, 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 far. It's like not even close. No one's even trying. It's just totally like made up stuff nowadays. It's not even coming close to what the Bible says. And and some weird, strong delusion has overcome the church, and people would just prefer it this way. In fact, you want to get in trouble. Um, just open up the Bible and start teaching what it actually says. Yeah, you're going to get in trouble so quick. Yeah, that's what happens I, in the church of all places. I'm not talking about, you know, the world. The world already hates Christianity. They hate Jesus. They're at war with him. But the weird thing is you have all these people claiming to be Christians who know nothing about Scripture. They've never heard the gospel for real. Uh, they've, they've not been brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, but they hear from God and they know their purpose and stuff. So, uh, and they're really good at, at, uh, at predicting dates for the end of the world. But as far as like passing a basic Bible doctrine quiz, no, they couldn't do it. Nope. <laughs> no way. All right. So I, I'm just looking at the program notes here and going, <laughs> what have we done? 
Yeah, that's right. What what have we done here? All right, so we're going to start off with a um, William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, co-prophet of the End Times, Twin Spin. And if you remember back a few months, we uh, covered a William Tapley video where he said that by the fall that uh, Donald Trump would be a Catholic. And and so here it is. It's the fall. It's the week before Thanksgiving, and you know we want to know. It's like what has uh, you know has Donald Trump kissed the Pope's ring, and has he been brought in, and is he a full blown communing Roman Catholic? So we're going to check in with William Tapley. He's going to tell us about that. And while we're listening to him, we might as well throw in his uh, prophecy, uh, prophetic angle regarding LeBron James's jersey tearing or ripping. I think it was the first game of the uh, NBA season. So, uh, And then uh, uh, Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. Remember Lori Suter? Yeah, Lori Suter. She's the one who said that God wants to frack your well. And uh, so I... <laughs> Uh, that was the first time we'd covered her. So, I mean, I was so intrigued by <laughs> this woman's nonsense. Thought we would uh, check back in with her. Something a little bit more down to earth, as if fracking a well isn't down to earth. It's really far down in the earth. But um, we're going to listen to her video where she claims God is restoring imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, while we're doing Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate, we'll kind of start to make the turn with this one, but we'll keep it under uh, Prophetic Holy Orders. Uh, Sean Bowles and him talking about the mystery of creativity. Mm -hmm. Somewhere in there we're going to have to take a break. That's how this works. Uh, We'll also be hearing from Colette Toach, the Apostolette, self-appointed at that, and uh, she discusses the Davidic mandate, so we'll be fully into the NAR. And uh, and then to round out hour number one, we're going to uh, check in with Benny Hinn. And Benny Hinn is beginning to sound like he's hopped on the NAR bus. Yeah, it is really weird what we're going to be listening to. There's like overt NAR overtones in... Um, this uh, message that uh, Benny Hinn, we're just going to sample. Hour number two, we're going to head to Wave Church, and we're going to listen to Steve Kelly's wife, Sharon Kelly, uh, <laughs> preach a message titled, <clears throat> Are You Sitting Down? Stretch Marks. Yes, that's the name of it, Stretch Marks. Yeah, I, I <laughs> didn't make that up. She did, but, uh, you know, then again, we live in bizarro world now where... People who call themselves Christians have no clue what the Bible says, and they're not interested in actually hearing it. So she's going to tell us about stretch marks. Yeah, I I don't know why we need a sermon on that topic, but there you have it. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We've got a lot of ground to cover. And since we're going to begin with a William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, co-prophet of the End Times update, let's dive in and do this. Listen to Third Eagle's tune. Doom and gloom, God. 
God is telling us the end is coming soon, very soon. You'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon. Doom and gloom, very soon. Rapture comes at night or noon. Doom and gloom, very soon. If you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. That's right. So uh, let's check in with William Tapley. If you remember, several months ago in the summer months, he claimed that uh, he had prophetic insight that, um, well, Donald Trump, by the fall of this year, and we're now in the fall of this year, would become a Catholic. So um, let's check in with William Tapley as he uh, gives us an update on uh, Donald Trump's progress in towards becoming a Roman Catholic. Here we go. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse and the co-prophet of these end times. I know a lot of you, my subscribers, are wondering how I will react to Donald Trump not making an official pronouncement that he has become a Catholic. However, there are some indications that he has, in fact, become Catholic. And I never said that he would become a Roman Catholic. I'm um, <laughs> um, what? <laughs> yeah, so uh, do, do you get the feeling that he's now, like, you know, redefining things, you know, because back in the summer, I mean, we were all prepared for, you know, Donald Trump to kiss the Pope's ring and and be, you know, <clears throat> attending mass at St. Mary's. And uh, um, so <laughs> William Tapley here is basically gone squishy on definitions here. And so he claims that Donald Trump is a Catholic, but he's also claiming that he never said that he would be a Roman Catholic. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a fun game. By the way, I uh, just was curious to see what had happened to Scotty Clark. Yeah, Scotty Clark, the guy who you know, it was on YouTube. He was one of the primary guys talking about the Revelation 12 sign. Uh, yeah, Jupiter coming down the birth canal of Virgo. And uh, and creating the expectation that the the rapture could occur on September twenty third, and uh, nothing came of it. Do you know that Scotty Clark has not updated his YouTube channel since that failed sign? Yeah, his uh, YouTube channel has gone silent. I wish he would do just one more and say I was wrong. I should have never created the expectation that something was going to happen or that this was a fulfillment of Revelation chapter 12. He should put a video up then that says that he's repented and uh, and that at the end of the year of 2017, he's going to yank his his uh, channel. That that would be good, some good repentance. But <clears throat> here's um, <laughs> William Tapley. Earlier in the year, he said... Donald Trump would be a Catholic, but of course, he didn't say he'd be a Roman Catholic. <laughs> How many different Catholics are there out there? Mentioned that many times, and the reason is because the Roman Catholic Church is being trodden under by the Gentiles, 
as prophesied in Revelation 11. Um, what? <laughs> Isn't the Roman Catholic Church like filled with Gentiles? What do you mean trodden down by Gentiles? It comes just before Revelation 12. Yeah. And I was thinking at Mass this morning, and I was looking at the right side of the altar where we have the red, white, and blue, the American flag. And on the left side of the altar, we have the papal flag, yellow and white. And as you know, the yellow and white represents the two rivers that flow in heaven, flowing with milk and honey. And I was thinking back to Donald Trump's speech at the rally he gave in Alabama on Friday night. Now, that would be the 22nd. But when he gave the speech... The uh, time in Jerusalem was already the 23rd. So I think that counts. Um, what? And he is referring back to September 23rd, by the way. struck me as very interesting that he was supporting a candidate by the name of Luther Strange. And I thought at the time, n- no Catholic, now this is symbolically speaking, of course, no Catholic would support someone named Luther. Now, of course, he would as far as politics go. But as far as the symbolism. But then I got to thinking his name was Luther is Strange. Now, maybe Donald Trump was speaking as a Catholic. Maybe that was his first Catholic pronouncement. Um, (laughs) We've been on the obtuse side, don't you think? And it's also very interesting at that rally that he spoke out against these football players who are multimillionaires who refuse to stand for the national anthem, who refuse to respect the American flag. Right. Only a Catholic president would do that, but not a, necessarily a Roman Catholic. Now, they're, they are trying to, and I say they, that's the news media, they are trying to make this into some kind of racist incident. I think the first football player who refused to stand was Colin Kaepernick. I don't follow the NFL any longer, not since they blackballed Tim. Wouldn't that be Colin? Never mind. But I think he was the first, and I don't know if he's uh, African-American. He looks more white than black to me. That's neither here nor there. It's not racist. I served in the military myself, and most of my fellow military people... The soldiers I served with, 40% were African-American. In fact, many of my officers were. So this is not at all racist. Most African-American football players stand for the national anthem. I mean, this country has made them multimillionaires. Why shouldn't they stand? And I'm going to play this little clip so that you hear what Donald Trump says himself. Right, right, yeah. I mean, this, this should clinch it, you know. From this point forward, we can say that we heard it ourselves, that Donald Trump is a Roman Catholic. I mean, the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times. I mean, in order for him to be a co-prophet, he's got to nail these things 100%, you know. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners, when somebody disrespects our flag, to say, he's fired. He's fired! Right, yeah, that, that, that proves it. Donald Trump is a Roman Catholic. (laughs) 
But I mean, he's just Catholic. He may not be Roman Catholic. I I, I don't know. Yeah, this. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's um, let's check in again with William Tapley as he explains to us the hidden prophecy in LeBron James's torn jersey. Here we go. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse and the co-prophet of these end times. Yesterday, one of my subscribers, John B., put a comment on one of my videos pointing out that in the very first NBA game of the season, that was, I believe, day before yesterday, the Cleveland Cavaliers player, LeBron James, split open his jersey. And his number is the number 23. And it was yeah. very clear. It split right down the back, separating the number two from the number three. And of course, you, my subscribers, know very well that two before three, or two over three, is the fraction two-thirds. And that yields the decimal point 666, which is the number of the Antichrist. Right. So LeBron James is the Antichrist? I am sure this is not accidental. This is a message from our Lord. I'm so glad he was paying attention. I mean, (laughs) William Tapley can find God's voice in the most obscure of of places, you know. He chose the opening day. Yeah. It would be the most covered in the media. Yeah. He chose the number one player in the world. Yeah. It would be LeBron James. He's the most famous. And he split the number right down the middle. Right in half there. Just, yep. mm -hmm. And I've been telling you all along that Almighty God does use sporting events to give us messages. Yeah, we've noted this for years uh, coming from your YouTube channel. In fact, just last month, Almighty God pointed out the number 23 when another Cleveland team, the Cleveland Indians, lost their 23rd game in a series. They had won 22 games in a row. That was not accidental either. And I told No, it's it's all about 666. At the time it wasn't. I know a lot of people make fun of me. But I only report what I see. That's my <laughs> Yeah, and uh, you're the only one seeing these things that you see. No one else is, but yeah, okay. So that's uh, quite interesting. Uh, moving along, let's uh, do a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. Here we go. So I was having this wedding, and and we had, we well we didn't have we Shabbat, Shabbat Shanda. Yeah, that's Heidi Baker and uh, Shubba. So um, we're heading back to the Facebook page of um, Lori Suter, uh, self-appointed prophetess, and um, she gives out prophetic words and stuff via, you know, Facebook. 
uh, social media. It's a, it's a, I'm sure it's a legitimate way to, you know, get the word out, the word of the Lord, the direct revelations that uh, that God is uh, releasing, you know, now on the earth. And uh, she's the one, if you remember, who explained to us that God wanted to uh, frack our wells. And so I decided I would check back with her. Um, and she's kind of scary beyond all reason. But l- let's listen in as she's trying to explain to us how God is restoring our imaginations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here we go. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to share with you today um, because I feel like God's putting on my heart something that is very dear to me normally anyway, which is talking. Right. So God's placed this on her heart. I mean, that that means it's got to be true, you know, about your imagination. Yeah. And I think anybody that has met me that knows me well will tell you that I have a very, very childlike imagination. It is very easy for me to step in to any situation where there are children and just like enter into that. Let's pretend this and that realm. Um, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, she has no problems, you know, doing the imagination thingy, which I think may explain the the actual true origin of her prophetic words is probably, in fact, I'm 2,000% sure it's her imagination. That all my life, you know, I pretty much lived in my imagination when I was little. And, and you still do today. Um. So let me just tell you a story. Okay. So I was sitting in my living room yeah. and I was looking around and I was trying to figure out how I wanted to decorate it because I knew I wanted to change it. And I could not picture, I could not imagine what I wanted to do in, in my living room. So your imagination thingy was broken. Did you call you know, somebody to fix it? And... The first thing I thought was, well, maybe it needs to be a different color. And so as soon as I changed the thought of my living room being a different color and I started imagining it a different color, all of a sudden I started getting all these ideas for my living room. No way. That's just amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Have you ever started a conversation and realized, oh boy, I've got to figure out how to get out of this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it, working on it. All, it. It all stemmed from daring to imagine something different. Right, yeah, you know, daring to imagine a different color in you know, your living room and stuff. Yeah, that's some dangerous living right there. And so as soon as that happened, I felt... God start to speak to me about imagination and yeah. See, well, I mean, wow, what an opportunity there! I'm so glad that God jumped on that because you know you just happened to be using your imagination at the time to imagine a different color and stuff, and then God thought, oh, I better jump in and you know say something here about imagination. How we get so discouraged in life, I think, as we grow up. You know, we start we start with healthy imaginations. I think we really do. When I look back on what children believe and what I believed when I was little, I think it's a lot more heaven than what we become as adults. 
And so I'm thinking about how I have no idea. Aubrey runs around here all the time talking about how she she's pretends she's a princess and and that she can do anything. And I listen to her and I think, yes, yes, that is biblical. Because um, okay. It says that we are we are royal sons and daughters. We are his sons and daughters. We are a royal priesthood. That is a fact. Yes, I mean Peter does say that we are a royal priesthood. No doubt about it. Um but you're going to note there royal priesthood. It doesn't say that to use your imagination to believe that you are a princess. And that we are supposed to co-reign with him. And that we can, um, that through him all things are possible. All things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just the, the, the imagination uh, is, just needs to be kicked into gear, you know. It brings the realm of like impossibilities to being possible with him. And that... You know, you can do anything. And yes, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, a bunch of verses <clears throat> ripped out of context turned into some kind of imagination slogans. Yeah. And so I started thinking about that. And I started thinking about how so many of us right now are going through such an intense storm, whether it be physical storms or whether it's emotional or spiritual. And a lot of times, if storms are all we've known, it's really hard to picture a different future. And right, yeah. So <laughs> do you do you suffer from storm overload? Has your entire life from beginning to even to where you are right now just been filled with storm after storm after storm? If so, um, then you, having suffered from storm overload, may be having a difficult time to use your imagination to imagine anything different than a storm. And it's it's no different than, than me looking at my living room and not being able to imagine anything different because because it's all I've known. Like I Right, yeah. I mean, if... All you've had are beige walls. I mean, it's going to be tough to imagine, you know, maybe a white or, a, you know, like the, that blue colored that's kind of the shell, you know, the, the humming, the, the bluebird blue shell egg thingy blue yeah, or green even. A, a good forest. Green. It's going to be tough. Very difficult to imagine. Yeah. You need to create something new. And I think that's what God's doing. Is that you, you think that's what he's doing? Okay. He is showing us how to create the new. And to right. Yeah. He, he, he needs to do that because we clearly can't do that on our own. I mean, w there'd be nothing new if, if it weren't that God gave us, you know, the new thing. Step out of the old tapes of what has always been is what will always be because that's what happens. Yeah. God designates our imagination as being holy ground with him, and he intends for it. My imagination is designated holy ground. Who knew? Be this majorly creative zone with him where we are co-creating heaven on earth in all our... 
co-creating heaven on earth with God. Uh-huh. Situations. And through life experiences and discouragement and hope deferred and and uh, having people say to us, well, you can't believe that. You know, that's not possible. No, you can't do that. You don't have an education. No, you know, you can't, you can't dream about that because you have this limitation on you. And the enemy steps in through media, through well-intending voices, through everything and brings fear and brings, and makes us feel so small and so little. And, and like, we, we can't, you know, I, I'm pretty sure the devil comes in and speaks lies and causes us to believe things that are lies to be the truth. You know, kind of like this idea that, you know, my imagination is holy ground and a place where I can go and co-create with God. Um, <laughs> I, Yeah, this whole co-creation thing. Yeah, we've only just begun to unpack that. Uh, more on the other side of the break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at fire Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be hearing from Sean Bowles regarding the mystery of creativity, Colette Toach, the Davidic mandate, and Benny Hinn. Has he jumped on the NAR bus? Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No sneaky squid spirit formed against us will prosper. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. Circus Church would like to again apologize. Normally, we try to do parody here at Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, the church continues to just parody itself. Case in point, Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed shofar CD. This is a real commercial. When Rabbi Michael Zeitler blows the shofar, miracles take place. He wants to see God break every stronghold of the enemy in your life, healing you emotionally, physically, even in your relationships, bringing salvation to your entire household. Call now and receive both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD, Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Listen to this anointed audio CD. Allow God's glory to fill the room as Rabbi Zeitler shares from the scriptures and then blows the shofar over every issue you are facing, including mental and emotional disorders, confusion, fear, stress, grief, nightmares, insomnia, pain, sickness and disease, addictions, eating disorders, weight loss, injustices, persecution, finances, marriages, rebellious children, freedom from the occult and demonic oppression, and so much more. Through Rabbi Zeitler's brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, you will learn how you and your family can obtain supernatural protection in the midst of the end 
end-time judgments about to be unleashed on planet Earth. Don't miss out on getting both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD, Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand-new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural. For a donation of $25, shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Call or write today. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that your imagination is not the place where you co-create with God. We we don't create that way, no. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith 2 into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey. That's right. There are ranks. You pick the rank. Rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Powder Monkey's at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way 
to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's uh, reset here. It's uh, time for another segment in our Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate. So let's do this. Get up right now. Robert Tilton, Hubabaconda. So we just heard Lori Souter talking about this weird idea that somehow we are co-creators with God. Yeah, that's a uh, common, uh, becoming even more common, uh, false teaching in the charismatic movement. In fact, you're going to hear uh, it's Sean, uh, not Sean, but uh, yeah, Sean Bowles here as he explains to us, uh, well, the mystery of creativity from the Dreams and Mysteries television program. But listen to the things that he's going to say. They, they aren't taught in Scripture. These are just straight out weird speculative assertions. But here we go. I am Sean Bowles. Welcome to another episode of Dreams and Mysteries. Today we're going to talk about one of my favorite things. God had so many identities revealed to us in the Bible, but there was one in particular that he revealed first. So many identities? How how many identities does God have? That's weird. (laughs) I mean, if I had multiple identities, I mean, I might end up having a rap sheet, you know. (laughs) Yeah, this this is weird. God came as a creator. Now, this is an incredible idea because God God came as a creator. How about God is the creator? Yes. Notice the weird, squishy, fuzzy language here. God not only came as a creator, but after six days of creating, he rested and enjoyed his own creativity. He rested and enjoyed his creativity? What? (laughs) What? So he enjoyed his own creativity. This is weird. This is a picture of the nature of God, of how much he enjoys who he is in his own identity and how much he wants to give us that same identity. We were made in his image. God wants to give us the same identity as a creator? Huh. Notice the sonship doctrine that we covered, you know, earlier from Chris Vallotton. Um, Yeah, this is... Wow. So this is like the next phase of it. Create with him, not only to be subservient to his creation, but to co-create with God. 
Now, the mystery of creativity is one of the most. Where in Scripture does it say that we are co-creators with God? The reason I, I, I have to ask the question in that way is that this kind of shows that Sean Bowles doesn't have like even a basic understanding of how Hebrew works or even what it is that's revealed in the opening sentences of uh, of Scripture itself. And, and the reason I'm saying that is because when we take a look at uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, Genesis 1, 1, um, this is an important thing. It, it says, in the beginning, Bereshit bara Elohim eth hashemayim va'eth ha'eretz. In the beginning, God created bara. And bara, to create, means he created out of nothing. We don't have the ability to do that in the way that God does it. I mean, God calls the things that are not as though they are. God takes nothing and out of nothing creates everything. You know, and so we got a problem here because where in Scripture is it told that we become creators, you know, in, in, in the sense that God is? I mean, we are not creators. We are stewards. We steward the things that God has made. You know, to kind of make the point, think of it this way. There's a joke that's told about God challenging a group of scientists and basically says, you know, I, you know, I, I challenge you to make a human body um, just like I did, right? And, and so the scientists think it over and they discuss amongst themselves and they say, all right, God, you're on. We, we, we challenge accepted. And so the scientists, you know, they you know, put their lab coats on, g- grab their, their, their lab goggles and stuff like that and begin to kind of organize their plan of attack. And so since God created humans out of the dust of the earth, they go and grab up some dust themselves and, you know, and begin, you know, the process of, you know, kind of thinking about how to how to turn this into a human being. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? And they said, well, we're making a, we're making a human from the dust of the earth the way you did. <laughs> God's on the whoa, whoa. I made the dust first. You need to go and make your own dust. You know, you can't use mine. Yeah, you, you kind of get the idea. So, it, it. But man, this is just weird. Okay. Phenomenal mysteries in the Bible because creativity affects every single thing we do every day. If you don't feel as a believer that you're creative just because you can't do art or you're not musical or whatever, it's just not true. As a matter of fact, you've been given creative genius from heaven. The genius himself lives inside of you. We've been given creative genius from heaven because the creative genius lives inside of me. <sighs> you know, so he, he, here's kind of the problem. All right, l- l- let's just, that that's just bizarre. I mean, that's crazy. That's taking one of the attributes of God and saying, therefore, because I have the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of me and my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, therefore, I have the same attributes that God has. Let me give you an example that I think you can readily get. Scripture is very clear that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah, this is most certainly true. Wisdom is something that we are told to strive after, to seek and to understand. In fact, God the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us, inspired 
King Solomon to write the book of Proverbs. And you're going to note that God, the Holy Spirit, wills for us to learn divine wisdom by studying the book of Proverbs, not by sitting there going, well, I have God, the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me, and God, the Holy Spirit, is is all wise. Therefore, because he's all wise, therefore, I am all wise, too, because I have God, the Holy Spirit living inside of me. No, that it doesn't work that way. So, th- I mean, th- this is crazy. Holy Spirit. God wants to use creativity to form culture. He wants to bring kingdom, heavenly culture on the earth. See, this is NAR talk, by the way. This is full-blown NAR. God wants to use creativity to form culture, to influence culture. Uh Uh-huh. Seven Mountain Mandate stuff here. My NAR alarm is now pinging. Do that. We have to be the receptors of the greatest creativity any generation has ever known. Uh, So are you a creative receptor? Thingy, you, you got to do this because, you know, because he just said so, not because scripture says so. We've seen times like this in history. They're called the Renaissance periods. We've seen where science, literature, and even education moves forward in ways that maybe the government wouldn't have pushed it forward, or maybe the popular ideas of culture wouldn't have pushed it forward. But all of a sudden, art comes. All of a sudden, things happen through creativity that brands the identity of a generation with new truth. That's happening again right now. And when God... It, it, it is? Where is this happening at? ...comes in his creativity, it changes everything. It prepares our heart for culture and belief that we would have never had if we didn't see a picture of it. What is this renaissance going to look like? And how do you participate in this renaissance? Notice he has yet to actually crack open a biblical text. Or even a Bible. I, you know, he's just spewing stuff and saying that God's doing this and God's doing that, but none of these things are taught in Scripture. This is the mystery of creativity. The, the, the mystery of creativity. Okay. I love this quote I'm reading about art. Thomas Martin says, Art enables us to find ourselves and lose ourselves at the same time. I think about how Jesus came, and he came as a storyteller. He didn't come and directly preach very often. Most of the time he told stories that would actually change the culture of the people's hearts listening. No. (laughs) No, that's not why Jesus told parables. Read Matthew 13. (laughs) The reason why Jesus told parables was in order to make it so that his audience would not understand him. Yeah, let, let me let me so let me just read from parts of uh, Matthew 13 here. Matthew 13. Jesus tells the story of the sower who went out and sowed the seed and it falls on the different soils, right? Verse 10 of chapter 13, the disciples are scratching their heads going, "What just happened?" because up to that point, Jesus had taught clearly and plainly, and then all of a sudden at Matthew chapter 13 because of the resistance and the ridicule and the, you know that he was receiving. In fact, the Pharisees were saying that he was performing his miracles by the power of Beelzebub. Jesus changes it up. At Matthew 13, he begins to start teaching in parables, and here's what it says. Matthew 13, 10, the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them... It has not been given. 
For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has, he has not, even what he has, will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear, and their eyes they've closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and then I would heal them. So the reason why Jesus told parables was specifically so that 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 they wouldn't understand, the unbelievers wouldn't. Sean Bowles is claiming that he did this in order to change culture and stuff. That's just straight up nonsense. He was culturizing them. He was sharing a message of what the Father was like, what heaven was like. He was breeding new ideas in people's heart culture. And it's so- no, he wasn't. A different way to lead a whole nation of people that he was called to when most of the leaders were, were focused on giving principles, focused on giving directives or directions. And then Jesus comes and gives people lots of powerful choices to make through how they would interpret certain stories. And yeah, again, you are not actually quoting a text and you've ignored why Jesus said why he told he spoke in parables. Matthew 13, 13. Jesus actually says, that's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge the people toward receptive insight. (laughs) So here's the funny thing. He's quoting Matthew 13, 13. See if you could guess from what is he quoting it. Not from a good English translation. He's quoting it from the message. Uh Uh-huh. And so here's the problem. Is that... The message is a mess. It is not a faithful translation. And the reason why he went to the message rather than the NIV or the ESV or the New King James or the NASB or even the Net Bible, which are all of those are fairly decent uh, translations, the reason he went for it is because the message says what he wants to say. You know, that that somehow he's telling these stories for the purpose of creativity. But pay attention. He, I'm going to back this up just a smidge. And he's going to – listen again. The quote, even from the message, isn't exactly making the point that, that uh, Sean Bowles wants to make. Here we go. Jesus actually says, that's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge the people toward receptive insight. Which that's not what Jesus said at all. In their present state, they can stare till doomsday and not see it. Listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. There's something that happened when he told. Yeah, did you get that part about listen till they're blue in the face and not get it? That's a lot closer to what Jesus was saying as to the reason why he told parables. Stories that brought connection. I love the phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words. Sometimes a story is worth a thousand sermons. And Jesus knew that, so he told these stories that most were common told stories that everybody already knew. And he changed them a little bit so they would have kingdom significance and meaning. No, he told these stories so that they would be hearing but not understanding, seeing and not perceiving. Yeah, that's Jesus' own words there. So who are you going to believe, Sean Bowles, or are you going to believe Jesus? I'm going to go with Jesus in context from Matthew 13. Interesting. Yeah, so this uh, sonship doctrine in the NAR 
makes you a co-creator with God. Yeah, that's you know kind of the implications of it because after all, as we learn from Chris Vallotton, uh, you are little gods. Yeah, this is an extension of that sonship doctrine. All right, moving along. Time for a new Apostolic Reformation update. Let's do this. Jay, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have sliced. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. Before each night is done. Their plan will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. They'll take over the world. The pinky and the brain, yes, pinky and the brain. Their twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. They're pinky, they're pinky and the brain, 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 brain. brain. All right, time to head over to the YouTube channel of Apostolic Movement International, Colette Toach presiding. And we'll note again that Colette Toach is a self-appointed apostolate. And today we're going to be hearing her teach teach on the so-called Davidic mandate. The Davidic mandate. Uh, this is weird. And it, by the way, is related also to this sonship doctrine thingy. But here's Colette Toach. The Davidic mandate. You Are you fulfilling your Davidic mandate? Have you risen up like David to do the Davidic mandate thingy? Imagine that for such a king as David, who slayed his thousands, his tens of thousands, whose name was written in history, that if we were to zoom in on his childhood, that we would see a king in the making, that we would see a leader in training, that we would see some mighty man who would give us an inkling of the power he was yet to wield. But instead, the first time we meet the mighty king, whose name we still sing about today, in the sheepfold, alone, singing with these harp, to the sheep. There is no idea looking at this picture. Anybody walking past, seeing this lone little shepherd boy leaning up against a tree, plucking away on his harp, would say, Aha! I see the potential for greatness in you. Come, let me raise you up to be the next king of Israel. In fact, not even those who knew him. His own father, his own brothers saw the potential in him. There was one who did. And then again, we have the king of all kings. The one who sits at the right hand of the father, who rules and reigns this entire world. And where, pray tell, do we find Jesus Christ, our savior, the first time? We meet him. Do we find him in a palace? Do we find him surrounded by great men of valor? Nah. We find him in a stable. In his swaddling clothes. All messed up and bloodied. 
from just being born with nobody but the lowly shepherds to come and worship him. And so the Davidic apostle, which I'm talking about today, is not one that is obviously destined for greatness, but it is one who has been given a heart that is set apart by God the Father himself. As I was going through this message, I was brought back to my own childhood. You, you were. I, okay, so notice she's talking about a Davidic apostle. I have no idea what that is. Um, but, you know, she just kind of spins her own theology straight out of her <clears throat> wicked, sinful heart. Um, so, okay, uh, you know, Davidic apostle. And now she's musing about her own life. Got it. Just let my mind roll as I was preparing this message. And I thought, where, where was Colette when she was first found? When she was first... Yeah, she, I mean, she's up there with Jesus and David, you know. Discovered. And I see this little nerdy girl, this skinny little thing, sitting all alone in the backyard or sitting all alone at the corner of the playground, or sitting all alone, well, anywhere, because that's mostly where I sat, alone. Pondering, dreaming, thinking, all these big plans, all these big ideas. Man, if there's one thing I could do, it was dream. I was going to change the world from my corner of the playground, in dead silence, having nobody there but me, myself, and I. Hours and hours and hours of... It was just like David in the sheep pen thingy, yeah. Aloneness. My parents moved around a lot. I went to something like 13 schools. I mean, it's so amazing that God saw all the potential in the future apostle at Colette Toach. It doesn't exactly help you develop deep friendships. And so... I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't have anybody I could count on. My mom and dad were fighting a lot of the time. And even then at the age of 13, they divorced. So our family life wasn't exactly this nice, peaceful atmosphere where I could come into a relationship with the Lord. Now, my dad was a pastor. I knew the word. And he's a fantastic teacher. Loved the Lord with all his heart. But that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for me to live the life that I wanted to live, to experience the Lord how I wanted to experience him. I mean, I knew he... Uh, did you catch that? <laughs> it wasn't enough. That, that My dad was a fantastic Bible teacher, but it wasn't enough. I wanted to experience the Lord the way I wanted to experience him. Hmm. Sounds like Veruca Salt from the uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I want it now, Daddy. I want to have my own God experience, and I want to have it my way. Yeah, that's quite the uh, confession. There. But really all I did have were those hours and hours of quiet. And then when I finally did get excited about the Lord and, and wanting to get into the spirit, I thought, I've got to speak in tongues. I mean, I come from a generations of Pentecostals, all powerful, all full of fire, all speaking in tongues and shouting at the devil. And, you know, they're, they're shaking and there's hallelujahing, you know, the drill, you know, the drill. I'm surrounded by this from the time I'm born. And there's a little schmo who can't even speak in tongues. You know, I just felt a bit insecure. You know, in today's day and age, it doesn't matter. They just say, well, you didn't get the gift and everybody doesn't think anything of you. But no. Now, there was me and everybody. And my mother was... This sounds like she should be saying this, you know, <clears throat> with her therapist. She, she might want to go and do this during couch time or something. In tongues from the age of four. 
And there's me at 14. And I would go up for prayer after prayer after prayer. Do you know when, <laughs> you know when I finally got spirit-filled? After going to revival meeting, after revival meeting, I was sitting alone on my bed. There's that alone thing again, right? <laughs> sitting alone on my bed and just opening my mouth. And the Holy Spirit gave me utterance. And you know, my mom and dad weren't even... Yeah, no, that, that, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. At the time, so I couldn't run through the house and say, it happened, it happened. No, it was just me, my little harp, sitting there rejoicing all by my little old self. Yeah, the way David did, you know. So I don't know if you've noticed what the problem here is that, uh, so she read this, you know, kind of this, the backstory of David. He was a shepherd before he was anointed king. She read about or made mention of the fact that Jesus was born in lowly Bethlehem and placed in a, you know, in a manger. And uh, but God saw the potential in both of them just the same way God saw the potential in her. And so by reading the scriptures in these ways, uh, you where you see the greatness, you know, know, kind of hidden, you know, in obscurity and mediocrity at the time. God sees the real potential and will turn it around the same way he did with Jesus, David, and the uh, self-appointed apostolate, <clears throat> Colette Toach, which, by the way, is not how you read the scriptures. The scriptures are not a, a library of great men who rece- whom God saw the potential in and then you gave them a purpose and a destiny, and he's going to do the same for you like he did for That's not the point of scripture at all. Uh, the scriptures are all about Christ and what God did in history to give us a savior and to save us. Yeah, it's it's really all about Jesus. I think you get the point. All right, time for a money grubbing televangelist. We're just going to ask a simple question, and that is: Has Benny Hinn hopped on the NAR bus? Uh, let's do this, though. I've got ninety thousand pounds in my pajamas. I've got forty thousand French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira, now the Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money, 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 money. There's nothing like a newly minted money, 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 money. Everyone must anger for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that makes the world go round, 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 round. You can keep your ways, but it's only just a phase. But it's money, money, money makes the world go money, 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 money. So a little bit of a note here. We're going to be listening to uh, Benny Hinn, recent message of his delivered. And uh, this is fascinating in this sense. Benny Hinn is getting old. Yeah, he's looking a wee bit long in the tooth, uh, thinning hair. The hair he has is shock white. And, uh, you know, he's just not with it. I, You know, no, as far as like... Cutting edge charismatics. Uh, that that yeah, that cow left the barn a long time ago. And so, what I noticed here is that Benny Hinn is trying to kind of prime the pump, if you would, a little bit. And so he's kind of talking in terms that that are very akin to the NAR, if not out right out NAR themes. 
And then also he's kind of picked up the the, the obnoxious thing that uh, Stephen Furtick and the Vision casting leaders do, and that is is that he has a peanut gallery getting there, going, "Whoa, yeah, preach it, amen," and all this kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, here's um, <laughs> Benny Hinn doing his best to try to recapture uh, you know his uh, A game and be back on to like the charismatic movements A list because he's clearly slipping in. Uh, in his ratings and rankings, but uh, here we go. Listen, I want to talk to you, and I want you just put aside everything right now. And listen, this is a new season for all of us. New season, yeah, right, yeah. You know, it's fall right now, and it was summer. And um, see, the thing is, the fall season isn't really all that new. And what do we got? Maybe like a month, a little more than a month, and then it officially becomes winter. So, yeah, okay. Are you listening? Yes. This is a new season for every one of you. Oh, yeah, new season. Okay, yeah. Mighty things are right ahead. Right ahead. Your mighty things are right ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that's not tongues. That's gibberish. There's a big difference between the gift of tongues, which is, is the ability to supernaturally speak a language you've never studied. Human language, by the way. That was gibberish. No, I feel that in my bones. Okay. When, when I heard and when I read that 21% of Jewish millennials believe that Jesus is, is the Son of God, I almost, I almost had, my, had my own rapture. Because, look, look, because I did not realize what's going on with the Jewish people. Uh, right, yeah, okay. And they are the voice of prophecy today on earth. Uh, they don't even believe in Jesus. How could they be the voice of prophecy on earth? You said only 20-something percent of them actually believe that Christ, Jesus, is the Messiah. That means nearly 80% don't. Uh, so how are they the prophetic voice in the earth right now? You've got to understand, all of you guys, go take your seats for just about 10 minutes. Then you're going to come back. I'm going to call you right back. I have got to get this through to you, saints. Okay, go. Jesus is on the way. <laughs> um, has he left heaven already? What do you mean Jesus is on the way? It, it, he's already on the way. All right. I, I, I don't know. I, that, okay. And before the coming of the Lord, we are going to see the greatest revival ever in the history of the world. No, that's not true. Uh, read like Second Thessalonians chapter 2. It talks about the apostasy. It doesn't talk about uh, the greatest revival. Yeah, this is NAR talk. Yeah, this this great revival thingy, the billion souls harvest thingy, that that's nonsense. Scripture doesn't teach that. Jesus himself in Matthew twenty four, the Olivet Discourse, talked about the, you know, the the days immediately before his return, filled with false Christ, false prophets performing false signs and false wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Yeah, it didn't talk about a billion souls harvest or anything like that. The NAR talks about this. Yeah, I, th I think Benny Hinn's trying to uh, jump on the NAR wagon here. Oh, yeah. Please say hallelujah. hallelujah. Get ready for it. I'm telling you because now we're seeing what's happening out there. 
prophetically like the puzzle is coming together. So what must we do? We must prepare for revival. And every revival... So, so we got to prepare for the NAR's false revival. Yeah, no, uh, that's the... Uh, I would consider that the opening act for the Antichrist. All prosperity comes with it. Oh, yeah. So with the revival comes prosperity, right? Yeah. It's just a part of revival. Yeah. Martin Luther, the great reformer back in Germany, said the devil will use two things to stop the gospel. Now, this is from a German priest, guys. Not a Pentecostal preacher, okay? He said the devil will use two things to stop the gospel. Number one, he'll raise tyrants. Or number two, he'll convince the church to stay poor. Yeah, that's... What? Where did Luther say that? I, you know, I I've read a quite a bit of Luther in my lifetime. I don't recall that. Could you show me the footnotes on that one? He said, "We're talking 500 years ago." A German priest said that, not some prosperity teacher, as they call us. Yeah, I, I'd like to see that quote, please. He said, "The devil will do two things to stop the gospel." It's in his books. Read it. Yeah, which one? Because there's a lot of them. He'll raise some tyrant, or he'll convince the church that poverty is God's will for him. Because the devil knows money is a weapon against him. Uh So Martin Luther, the very first prosperity preacher. Now, it just so happens that I know the quote that he was referencing, and it doesn't actually say the thing that Benny Hinn said that Luther said. Um, you can find this, by the way, if you were to like Google uh, the, the the name of the articles: Luther on the use of money. Luther on the use of money. It's a Christianity Today article that was. Uh, what's the publication date on this? Uh, it's from issue fourteen of Christian History at the uh, Christianity Today website. Um, copyright nineteen eighty seven. Okay. So here's the, you know, so here was the issue is is that with things changing rapidly in Europe because of the uh, Renaissance and um, and you know in the Age of Enlightenment, what ended up happening was that a new thing came onto the onto the scene that that had not really been seen before, and that was capitalism. And so let me read from this article from Christianity Today. Uh, Luther's attack on early capitalism, uh, here's what the article says. The medieval ideology of poverty had been entrenched for centuries, but the acceptance of the idea that money can make money was relatively new in Luther's day. This usury was condemned by the medieval church as late as the Fifth Lateran Council in 1515, but by all accounts, the entrepreneur was well established by this time. Luther found the calculating entrepreneur extremely distasteful. He was convinced that the capitalist spirit divorced money from the use from use for human needs and necessitated an economy of acquisition. From his brief sermon on usury, which was preached in 1519, to his admonition to the clergy that they preach against usury, a sermon again in 1540, Luther consistently preached and wrote against the expanding money and credit economy as a great sin. After the devil, there is no greater human enemy on earth than a miser and a usurer, for he desires to be above everyone. 
Turks, soldiers, and tyrants are also evil men, yet they must allow the people to live. Indeed, they must now and then be somewhat merciful. But a usurer, this is somebody who uses money to make money and does so off the interest, a usurer and a miser belly desires that the entire world be ruined in order that there be hunger, thirst, misery, and need so that he can have everything and so that everyone must depend upon him and be his slave as if he were God. Daily the poor are defrauded. New burdens and high prices are imposed. Everyone misuses the market in his own willful, conceited, arrogant way, as if it were his right and privilege to sell his goods as dearly as he pleases without a word of criticism. This lust for profits, Luther observed, had many clever expressions, selling on time and credit, manipulating the market by withholding or dumping goods, developing cartels and monopolies, falsifying bankruptcies, trading in futures, and just plain misrepresenting goods. Such usury, Luther argues, affects everyone. The usury which occurs in Leipzig, Augsburg, Frankfurt, and other comparable cities is felt in our market and our kitchen. The usurers are eating our food and drinking our drink. Even worse, however, is that by manipulating prices, usury lives off the bodies of the poor. In this own inimitable style, Luther exploded. The world is one big whorehouse, completely submerged in greed, where the big thieves hang the little thieves. Thus, he he exhorted pastors to condemn usury as stealing and murder and to refuse absolution and the sacraments to usurers unless they repent. Yeah. So, yeah, Luther was... (laughs) somehow saying that poverty was the big tool of the devil and that we need to learn how to be rich. That's not what he was saying at all. (sighs) Yeah, but then again, I don't think Benny Hinn really cares about being accurate. He's trying to sell a product, you know, uh, and that's the product is a seed offering that you need to sow into his ministry so that you, you can, God can bless you. I think you get the point. All right, we are up on our second break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back, we're going to hear from Steve Kelly's wife, a message titled Stretch Marks. Yeah. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles in the church today. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. 
Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Let's do this right, though. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's ser- sermon sermon comes to us via Wave Church. Sharon Kelly, the uh, wife of Steve Kelly, presiding. The name of the uh, message is titled Stretch Marks. That's what it's called. And uh, it will attempt to uh, make this look like a biblical teaching, but there's just no way t- to actually land this plane. Clearly, uh, Sharon Kelly thinks she's trying to reach a female audience and that this is a relevant way of reaching them. And this is a great topic, apparently. That So we're going to manipulate the Bible and engage in eisegesis to stick into the biblical text the concept of stretch marks. Wish I was making that up, but I'm not. So let me go ahead and back off on the music, and without any further ado, here is Sharon Kelly and Stretch Marks. Anyway, we're going to be talking about stretch marks. Are you ready, girls? Stretch marks. And anyone who has a baby knows the dreaded stretch marks. And nowadays, you know, when I was pregnant, because Brenda Jolly's doing baby number four, baby, he's going to be a boy. Who else is pregnant? Beepster, was Ashby? Ashby's pregnant with a little boy? Anybody else having a baby? Anybody that may, may be pregnant but you don't know yet? <laughs> I'll lock the back. Might be. Um, 
But you know what? Back in my day, you didn't have the shea butter and the whatever that you. But now, girls are desperate to stop the stretch marks, right? Pre-baby, we do everything to stop those stretch marks because we don't want stretch marks on our stomach, right? Ah, but let's talk about stretch marks for a little bit. Stretch marks show what we are capable of. They produce life within. They bring blessing, and we see miracles happen right before our eyes. Stretch marks mean growth. Stretch marks mean something new is on the way. Stretch marks mean expansion is coming. Stretch marks mean blessing is coming. Um, so if you have stretch marks, that means blessing is coming. Do, do you have a biblical text that teaches this blessing associated with stretch marks doctrine thingy that we're hearing? We are able to be stretched. A woman's belly is made for increase. That we can handle this. Made for increase. Life. So funny, isn't it? Because we want to be pregnant, but I don't want the stretch marks. God, expand me, use me, but don't make me do things that make me look a little, you know, different. I don't, I don't want to have the marks. I want what I want, but it doesn't work that way. For the miracle to happen, stretching has to happen. Yeah, you, you, there's got to be stretching if there's going to be a miracle. Mm-hmm. Which biblical text are you going to pull on to try to teach this stretch mark doctrine? God says that no one escapes the stretching. I want my nice little Christian life. Yeah, where did God talk about no one escaping the stretching? I'd like to see that verse. I want to become a Christian and I want my life to look and feel and act just lovely every day, every minute. But how many of us know? We don't sign up for the good ship lollipop. I think I said that a couple of weeks ago. Good ship lollipop. Dandy stop. Whatever. Yeah. Great. So prior to the baby, I don't want stretch marks. And I'm working tirelessly to stop them happening. But do you know what I've noticed, even on social media, that after the girls birth the baby, no one talks about the stretch marks anymore. They might say, oh, i got a wobbly belly here. i got some muscles that have separated a little bit. But what I have... Oh, I got some stretch marks. But look what I got. And I just believe that's what God is going to do in and through us. There's going to be some scratching and it's going to hurt like crazy. It's going to be itchy. Itchy, yeah. But that that's the itch of blessing, you know. I know you girls are laughing, but have you ever had a pregnant belly and it's been so itchy? When that skin is stretching, doesn't it get itchy? Do you remember? I remember it's a long time ago. Because when that baby comes, they are so besotted. Do you know, on Sunday as we stood in this church, and it's a church just like ours, and as people came rushing to the altar, hundreds, droves, I just went, that's what I see. That's what I see happening in Wave Church, where there's such a hunger for God. But it first starts in us, stretching. Stretch marks. Yeah, it's got to start with you. 
have you had have you been stretched enough to get the stretch marks of blessing stretching is uncomfortable stretching doesn't look good the nine month pregnant waddle you remember this oh all right we're gonna stand now for church let's sing oh all right you sit down now Okay, back up again. <laughs> God bless church, right? And the nine-month pregnant mamas. But isn't that what it's like? And that you just and and towards the end, you feel like this baby's going to fall out. If only that were true. If only they just whoo, slid out. So we're going to look at a scripture this morning. Two Kings, four verses eight through ten. Stretch marks, stretching. Bible says one day Elisha went to Shunem. Yet we're talking. All right. So the Shunammite woman from Second Kings four. Um, um, how how does this deal with the topic of stretch marks? Because I've I've read this story several times and don't seem to call the important stretch mark doctrine in there. And about the Shunammite woman, beautiful, beautiful woman. And a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. I love it. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put it in a put in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. Now I don't know approximately how long ago was this was written. If someone said to you today, you know what, we're just going to put a room on the top of our house, you'd be like, oh, that's awesome. Bring in the construction company and they'll draw up plans. And but in the Old Testament, I can't imagine what putting a room on top of a house entailed. It wasn't like bringing the construction crew and we'll just put ladders here. You know, that's a whole nother level. There was stretch involved. This is going to... Yeah, stretch involved. The ancient homes, you know, probably built from baked brick, you know, um, common for a guest room to be on the top of a home in the... Yeah, it's just... I'm just saying. Create and take a bit of work. And then verses 14 to 17. This is a a woman who has made room for the prophet. Bible said, what can be done for her? Gehazi said she has no son and her husband is old. And Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your hands. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. You can sense heartache. But the woman became pregnant and the next year about that same time she gave birth to a son just as Elisha had told her. Have you ever noticed that God is really good at giving older women babies? It's like, okay. It's a little scary actually when you think about it. We're through, we're through, we're through the menopause. We're through all of that. We don't have to worry about that. Whoops. How did that happen? You just don't know what God could do, but no, probably not. Yeah, those uh, miraculous conceptions 
are type and shadow that point us to the virgin birth. Yeah, that's kind of the point. You know, the, so the the theme that you'll see in the Old Testament is the theme of the barren womb conceiving. That it's and which is why God waits until they're really old because I mean there are few things that are more barren than an old woman's womb. And there is only in fact I would say there's one thing that is more barren than an old woman's womb and that is the womb of a virgin. And that's kind of the point, is that in type and shadow, we see that God miraculously causes barren women to conceive, all of that pointing to the barren woman, that would be the Virgin Mary, conceiving and giving birth to Christ. That's the point. So I'm glad she at least thought about this. It seems like it's a recurring theme in the Old Testament. It is. I remember a number of years ago when I had moved to the United States, someone came to speak in our church. This is early days. We've probably been here a year or two. And I remember someone saying, they started praying over Steve and I, and I remember they specifically said, Sharon, um, God's going to bring family here to see you and it's going to be just for you. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of interesting. My parents didn't travel a lot. And... um, My grandparents certainly didn't. I had a grandfather who was very sick who ended up passing away. And in 2012, no, 2007, my grandmother, who was 85, came to Virginia Beach. She was 85. She'd never had a passport in her life. Never traveled outside of the country. Wasn't a traveler. She was born in 1922. People didn't fly. And I remember... As she was contemplating coming, that's a big deal. You're 85, you're going to fly to the other side of the world. In fact, she went to the passport office with her original birth certificate. And when she got there, they said, I'm sorry, ma'am, there's a statute of limitations on documents we can accept. You're going to have to get a new birth certificate. How funny is administration sometimes? Like government departments, you just want to headbutt them sometimes, don't you? Like, it's her original. Anyway. So she applied for a passport and she got that. They went to book the tickets, but she had to get health insurance. You don't come to the United States without health insurance. And so here I was getting excited and anticipating, wow, my my nan, I never thought. But I, I was and still have a very close relationship with her. She's 95 now. It wasn't even on my radar that she could come. Oh, I'm deliriously jet lagged, so we're getting lots of tears today. Whew. But the last hurdle was health insurance. There are a couple of major health insurance companies in Australia, none of which would touch an 85-year-old woman who wants to come to the United States. And so she called me and she said, I just don't think it's going to happen because no one wants to do insurance. What does this have to do with the story of the Shunammite woman? Okay. I've got to take a break and look at my Bible here before I explode because I don't know where Sharon Kelly is going at this point because this is a great story and she's not all that interested in actually telling it, which is telling, if you know what I mean. 
All right. Second Kings four, verse eight. One day, Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha went on to Shunem where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who's continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to, and he said to him, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, Well, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, Well, she has no son and her husband's old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, At this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, oh, no, my Lord, oh, uh, uh, oh, no, man of God, don't lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time following spring, as Elisha had said to her. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, oh, my head, my head. And the father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why? Will you go to him today? It is neither the new moon or the Sabbath. And she said, all is well. And then she saddled the donkey, and she said to her servant, Urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with your child? And she answered, All's well. And then she came to the mountain to the man of God, and she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said to her, Leave her alone. She is in bitter distress. Yahweh has hidden it from me and has not told me. And then she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. Lay my staff on the face of the child. And then the mother of the child said, as Yahweh lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he rose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned to meet him and told him, The child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child laying dead on his bed. So he went in, shut the door behind the two of them, prayed to Yahweh. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. As he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm, 
And then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up again and stretched himself upon the child. The child sneezed seven times. The child opened his eyes. And then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground, and then she picked up her son and went out. Hmm. So here we have a story of a boy who's been resurrected from the grave. Very rare thing in Scripture. And Jesus himself also healed, literally resurrected children and gave them back to their mothers. Remember, Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. And here Elisha is prefiguring Christ in his ministry, his miraculous ministry to give sight to the blind, give the ability to walk to the lame, to raise the dead, and to care for the widows and the orphans and people like that. It shows God's mercy and grace and shows the power of God and prefigures Christ, our prophet, our priest, and our king. I, I'm just pointing all of that out because I think that if you're going to handle this text correctly, it behooves you to kind of work with those themes. But I don't think Sharon Kelly knows what she's doing, but she continues. Anyway, so I just happened to get on the I'm like, okay, Nan, just leave it with me. And so I happened to get on the computer. Thank you, God, for Google. And I Googled health insurance. I didn't even know what I, what I Googled. But there were two companies that came up that get this. Insured people coming to the United States up to age 86. <laughs> like, seriously? Up to age 86. So I called my nan. Nan, I found this. So she made some inquiries. She had to go for a full body scan. They had to make sure that there wasn't anything, you know, majorly wrong with her. And she passed it with flying colors. I think she had to pay $800 for three weeks insurance, but you know what I mean? But my grandmother came to the United States to see, she got to see where we live. She got to see our church. You don't know. You don't know. Oh God, don't, don't even tempt me. Don't even tempt me with the thought of that because I don't know if I can handle the disappointment. Girls, stretch. Stretch yourself, stretch your emotional capacity. Stretch it to see what God could do. All right, stretch marks. Stretching, okay, a couple of- Stretch my emotional capacity to see what God can do. Yeah, not even the Shunammite woman did that. What are you talking about? The thoughts about stretching. First thing, stretching requires creativity. Bible says we have to make room. How, God? How? She had no son. How will this happen? She, she had to make room. Pregnancy kind of works itself out there. I don't know if you've noticed, the making room for the baby is kind of a passive thing on the part of the mothers. She made room for God in her life and stretched. The prophet says, what can be done for her? I just know when we are faithful... When we love Jesus with all our heart, when we do what he asks us to do, he says, what does he say? Get planted in the church. You will flourish. Plant in the local church. Don't just get planted. Get busy. Serving, loving. What can I do? So get busy because that's how you um, stretch and 
<clears throat> create room for the increase. Oh, boy. Dude. This woman made room for God. Every time the prophet came into town, she made room. And they were creative about putting, I would love to see that room up on top of their house. I'd love to see it. Second thing, stretching helps us be outward focused. We are creating room for God, hosting, hospitality, thinking of others. You know, when you're pregnant with a baby, then your body's being stretched What's happening? You're thinking about a baby. There's a new person coming. Point three, stretching creates discipline. Every time the man of God came, he Stretching creates discipline. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure people with stretch marks don't point back to them and go, you know, before I had stretch marks, I was pretty undisciplined. But then I got stretched, and I got stretch marks. And after that, I've been disciplined ever since. I've never talked to anybody who's talked about the incredible medicinal qualities of stretch marks as it relates to self-discipline. He stayed with this man and his wife. This is, this is what she's saying. This is what we will do. He must stay with us. We will make sure that the room is ready and available every single time. Because we want God every single time. We're going to make room. We're going to make space for him. We're going to be in the word. We're going to getting with God. Even though there's pain in our lives. This woman hadn't had a child. Let me tell you, she's carrying pain. But she says, God, I will make room for you. Always. Always. Number four, stretching creates anticipation. The man of God is coming. I wonder what he's going to talk to us about this time. I wonder what he's seen. I wonder who he's prayed for. I wonder what prayers have been answered. I wonder what miracles have happened. He's coming. Are you going to even read the story? Is he here yet? Make sure we're ready. I remember when, you know, Steve's mom and dad had five children. They were all... One year or less apart. Yeah, it's time for personal stories from the life of Sharon Kelly. Yeah, this is not going to help us understand this text at all. I'm convinced at this point she has no clue what this text is really about. That's busy. That's like, I remember his mom saying to me, you know what, I really never had a baby. I had five babies. You know, when you've got a lot in diapers, it's like... You know, Steve was number three. Mom, how old was I when I walked? Um, I think around. <laughs> you just happy to make it through every day, right? I don't know when you walked. I was just trying to, you know, keep everybody alive and happy. Helping myself sleep a little bit, you know. But I remember I had five kids a year apart. And then they all got married within four years. So you have organized chaos and then deathly silence. And I remember we would call and say we'd come in to visit and his dad would always be out on the porch waiting. Because when you love someone, you are anticipating. And of course we had little kids too, so his grandchildren would be waiting to welcome them into his home. That's what you do. You anticipate can't wait. It's like Steve said to me yesterday, you know, because I 
Lanny and I landed and Rach picked us up. And of course, the Children's Landing Center was having their little, you know, costume parade or whatever they call it, fall, Halloween, whatever. And, um, you know, it's like, okay, it's at 10 o'clock. So we landed at quarter 10. Come by and see the the um, costume. You know, Jax was there. So Jax is going to be in his costume. Oh, of course, yes. So we go and we're standing there. He says, oh, by the way, when you get home, because I went home took a shower afterwards, when you get home, there's a tent in the middle of the living room. I said, oh, well, how come it's, he said, I put it up Sunday night. How, how come it's still up? Jack's liked it. But that's what happens. Anticipating, loving on. It's like, oh, let's put a tent in the kitchen, have a, in the living room and have, let's just camp there and have an indoor camping whatever. But it's that anticipation of Jax is coming over and we're going to sleep in the tent tonight. And then, of course, last night we had a bunch of, you know, Alyssa and Jared's friends with their little kids and Steve's stressing out, that's an expensive tent. They're pulling the zippers and all. I'm like, Steve, don't worry about it. You put it up. You got to live with the consequences of the little people. (laughs) Oh, man. Number five, stretching brings an awareness of my need of God. This woman was very aware of her need of God. God, I need you. I have to make room for you. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. I've heard people say, in fact, I've said it, I know God has got this and this for me. We hear the message of the gospel. And how God's called us for a purpose greater than ourselves. And if we're not careful, girls, if we're not careful, it can be I, 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 me, 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 my, my, my gift. And yes, you have it. God calls you for a purpose greater than yourself. What what text are you referring to there? Incredible gift, but it's when you bring that with the body of Christ. And all their gifts together create such an amazing, like if you think of an orchestra, you think of the combined giftings of all the orchestra, the sound that it makes. Well, not the middle school sound, maybe. <laughs> not, the, not the guys that are learning. But you know what I'm saying, God? We need you. We need you and we need each other. And I want to ask us, what's in your hand right now? Can you stretch right now? Could you stretch right now and do something that's not comfortable for you? Normal for you? Um, just stretching would do that. We need help with the kids area. I don't do kids. I remember Gary and Marilyn Skinner who went to Uganda to start and lead a church called Watoto Church. And God spoke to Gary and he said, Gary, I want you to, there's so many orphans here, so many women with HIV, I want you to build orphanages. And he's like, no, I'm not doing kids. Kids pee their pants. Kids have snotty noses. Kids need a lot of attention. But he couldn't get rid of the message from God. He couldn't. And so today... Uganda is a different country, a different nation, because someone went, I don't want to, but I will. I will stretch. I don't know how we're going to do it. How on earth am I going to build orphanages? Do you know how there's no money here? God says stretch. Trust me. Make room in your heart. 
You know, some of you know God's saying to you, I want to step up to nursery. I want you to step up to choir and the create. I want you to step up and host. I want you to step up and serve. You're like, no, no, it's just easier. I just want to come in and I just want to sit down and I want to enjoy church. Me too. (laughs) But guess what, girls? We live in a day where we cannot afford to think like that. It's like, God, stretch us. Stretch us and continue to stretch us. As I saw people coming forward on Sunday in church, at at the women's conference, 120 women got saved. 120 women flocked to to the altar to receive Christ. And I just thought, God, don't let us ever get comfortable. Don't let us go, well, if there's a comfortable chair, I'll come in. If they sing the songs I like, I'll come in. If the preacher speaks something that's just lovely and makes me feel good, I'll come in. No, I pray that when the, when the worship comes, I've got to bring a sacrifice. God, I'm stretching because I love you. And when the word is taught, I'm praying. You'll notice uh, everything's about what you got to do, you got to do, you got to do. This is all law. There is no gospel in this. Yeah, there, what, what exactly did Jesus do for me? I'd like to hear about that. God, bring conviction to my heart because I want to be more like you, Jesus. And if I just sit there and go make me feel good about myself, I'll, my life will be just like a vapor. God, no, no, let's take the stretch. One thing I know about stretching is if you exercise, you need to stretch before you exercise. Don't you hate that? I'll be honest with you. When I go to the gym, it's a big enough ordeal to get to the gym. Don't ask me to stretch as well. And you see people stretching and they're like, "Mm, look at me. Mm." (laughs) Not really. I'm just joking. But don't don't you feel like sometimes stretching feels like a waste of time? Have you ever thought that? I was like, I don't know why these people stretch. Until you exercise to get an injury because you didn't stretch. See, it's the stretching that manipulates the muscle, maybe warms it up a little bit so that we can exercise beautifully. You are Cheryl Monaco who's run 500 marathons. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's an important thing to do before you exercise. Where in Scripture are we told to spiritually stretch the way you're describing it? <laughs> I bet, Cheryl, you stretch before you run, right? Oh, afterwards. Well, before or after, you do. But she stretches. Why? Because it helps the muscle. And as we are doing this life called the God life, the Christian life, God's going to say, stretch. you need to stretch. Right, God's going to say that. When does he say that exactly? Yeah, I'm a little confused because I don't know any biblical texts that say any of the things you're saying. You need to stretch or you won't be able to... And this has nothing to do with the story of the Shunammite woman. ...to handle what I've got for you. You've got to stretch that muscle, stretch that emotional, that internal world. All right, so back to our little Shunammite woman. So what we know so far is she created room for God, didn't she? She loved Jesus. She loved God. She loved God. Jesus wasn't around yet. I'm sure if he was, she would have loved him too. <laughs> yeah, Jesus was around. He's the eternal 
son of God. He makes many appearances in the Old Testament. Yeah, this is weird. She loved God. She made room for the man of God. She honored the gift of God on his life. Don't you love that? A miracle happened in her heart. This was a woman who was desperate for a child, never had one. The man of God says, you're going to have a child, and she has a child. But look what happens. She has this child. He gets sick. And in verse 20, after the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. God, are you kidding me? The thing that I had hoped and dreamed, he died? Like that perfect man that came into my world, that husband that you've given me, do you know what he's like right now? That house that we had prayed and believed for, and now the whole thing, there's a leak right through it. Do you know how much God it's going to cost now? Uh, <coughs> yeah, this is doing total violence to this text. That job, God, that amazing dream job that, God, I prayed for and you had given. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. Do you know what the co-workers are like? Do you know, God, they're not even saved? Do you know those kids, God, the ones that I prayed for that are so rebellious right now? God! Because isn't that what happens? We pray, we believe, we trust, and then we get it and we think... Yeah, rebellious children are different than a dead child. Just saying. We're on the good ship, lollipop. And it gets hard. It gets really hard. And look at this woman. Bible says in verse 22, she called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Verse 25, so she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. She is running after God. I need you. I need you. And when he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? And look what she says. Everything is all right, she said. No, it's not. You got a dead son. Tell him you've got a dead son. Come on, come on. Wouldn't that be what you'd be saying? I have a dead son. Isn't that what happens? Isn't that what happens to us when life hits and we don't like it? We're on the... This is... This is believe it. Isn't that what happens? God, you promised. I prayed for this guy. He came and look what he's like now. Look at my life. I I prayed. I've trusted. I've hoped. She comes in and goes, everything is all right. It is well with my soul. I'm not gossiping about it to you. I'm not giving a bad report to you. I have to go to God. The only person that I can handle, that can handle my distress and my pain is God himself. When I don't understand why my life is the way it is, I have to go to God himself. This just went off inside of me. 
verse 27. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi, the little apprentice who was helping out Elisha, came over to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress. But the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Verse 28. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said. Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Don't you hear the brokenheartedness? A dream that just feels shattered. Do you feel that? And then, let's see. Verse 30. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as, the, and as you live, I will not leave you. Because the little apprentice wanted to go off and she said, he said, nope, I'm staying. I'm staying for the man of God. I am waiting. I am not moving. I am just pouring myself out to you. Bible says in verse 32, when Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And then this is what the Bible says, verse 34, then he got on the bed and lay on the boy mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched, stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away, walked back and forth in the room. Just imagine it, girls, imagine. He's laid himself out on the boy, and the boy's body grows warm. And then he's like, God, God, God. Elisha turned away, walked back and forth in the room, and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. Boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Wow. Girls, I pray that we would be women that run to Jesus and we won't let him go in hours and moments of distress. And I could get a number of you up here and ask you what you've walked through and we would all be in tears because we all face it. A broken dream, our life shattered when things don't turn out the way we had hoped. A a broken dream. Yeah, it's going to be infinitely less um, traumatic than the death of a child. And the only girlfriend is great. And that's why community is great, because we link arms. But the medicine for our soul is Jesus himself. And the medicine for our community and the medicine for our nation and the medicine for nations is Jesus himself. I would agree. Jesus is an important um, person. Mm-hmm. I would really like to hear something about him in this sermon. I've heard a lot about you. Nothing about him. There's a dead son. There's always something going on in our lives. You know, we will always be a church that prays for people always but I promise I'm just asking us girls in these times that we live yes we will stand beside each other and we will always be a church that prays for you and believes with you but what may we not 
be self-focused with that. Can I ask us to stretch and think about others? Stretch. You got to stretch. You need some marks. This woman says, because I've made room for God, he is all I want. And Yeah, that's not what the text says. You're putting words into the mouth of the Shunammite woman that she never spoke. And it is well with my soul. I don't know, girl. Something went off inside me this week. You might want to stop looking there, yeah. And I'm just thinking about our sisters, and I'm thinking about our church. I'm thinking about the people that you will meet this afternoon, tomorrow. And I'm thinking that our prayers need to change a little bit. And I'm going to ask us every morning as we wake up, God, what can I do for you today? Who's the person? God, send that person. And may I have eyes to see and ears to hear the brokenheartedness of that person, that I could be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's going to take us being stretched. Some of us are going to have to come out of our comfort zone. i got to tell you, when I was in South Africa being flown across the other side of the world to speak at a conference... There was a moment where I just thought, God, this is crazy. Like I was the quietest kid and this is just crazy. It's just crazy. The people are paying an expensive airfare for me to fly to speak. It makes no sense, girls. It doesn't make any logical sense. I promise you, you invite my girlfriends who come here and they say, well, look what God has done. Amazingly. I'm telling you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure God had nothing to do with you going and speaking at a conference and spewing nonsense. Yeah, it's clearly the devil is uh, paying your air airfare to travel you around the world to fill people's heads with nonsense rather than point them to Christ. Something's just, and yet I got there and God did way more in me. And I could have given them. You watch these girls birth these babies. They're being stretched. Yeah, that, that's why you need painkillers for that. Beautifully now you have epidurals. God bless epidurals. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. <laughs> the band's about to come up. I have no idea. What do you play as a band member for a sermon about birthing and stretch marks and stuff like that. Um, What's wonderful about an epidural is you go from a heaving mess (laughs) and they put the epidural on your back and you're like, oh, hi. That's seriously, that's what happens. And it's a miracle right there. Well, let me tell you, I birthed babies when there were no epidurals. They just didn't give them to you. And so I know what it means to birth this baby. I know what it means to be stretched. I know what it means to wait for 10 centimeters. Like, God, it's going to be 10 centimeters, you know? And, and who are the women who have birthed babies without their epidurals? Yes. Cue savvy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience there at Wave Church, um, wanting them to stretch and stuff. And all in the context of her last closing bit of thoughts 
regarding epidurals. Yep, that's this is yeah, I'm learning nothing about scripture here. Look at you all. I remember Alyssa was in labor and delivery. She's like before the epidural came, she says to me, I think this must be how people die. I didn't laugh at the t- I laughed on the inside. I just said, no, sweetheart, no. Because your body's made to stretch. And just when you think you can't take it anymore, when you get to that eight centimeters and you're like, as I remember, get me out of here. I don't want to do this anymore. Get me out of here. I remember Steve saying when I was having Sam, he'll be pleased to know this information. Um, he said, you need to be quiet. You're making too much noise. I'm like, well, you tried to deliver a watermelon, mate. But our bodies are created to stretch. And then when it right, yeah. So is, is, is your body stretching properly? It gets to ten centimeters, and they say you can push now. You're giving it everything. Ugh. I mean, you are just. Ugh. And I'm just. You know, I've just watched some babies be birthed, so I'm just all fresh to me. They're giving it everything. So that's why you're preaching about this, because you just saw a baby being birthed. Yeah, yeah, nothing like not actually engaging in any proper sermon prep. Not that you should be preaching anyways, but yeah, okay. And you know, as as you're being stretched and that head's about to, it's like the head comes and then it goes back. You know that feeling? Maybe this is too much information. I'm sorry. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, a miracle happens. Because that little head comes out. Delirious. But I believe God is on this. The head comes out and the body comes out and no one cares about the stretching anymore. No one cares about the pain anymore because God in our midst has done a miracle. I agree that, you know, uh, the birth of a child is a special thing. I mean, some have even described it as miraculous. I'm, I'm not trying to take anything away from that. It's just that that's not a sermon topic. Unless, of course, you want to talk like Genesis 3. I Don't throw anything at me. I saw, I saw that. <laughs> Put that down. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just... I, hmm, I This has nothing. Absolutely nothing to do with the story of the Shunanite woman. This is... Wow. Oh. Yeah, that was horrible. Sorry. Girls, God is just going to do something in our midst. And I want us to be ready. Are you ready? You got to stretch because God's going to do something in the midst because, you know, pregnancy and stretching and birth and heads and bodies and stuff. Yeah. I want us to be ready. I want us to be okay with being stretched. I want us to come to church on a Sunday and be at the doors. And I want us to be welcoming people. And when we're sitting in here, I want us to go up to people we don't know and say, it's so good to have you in here. And I want us, when the praise and worship happens, to lift our hands with everything we've got. And I want us, as the word is being taught, God, speak to me. 
And I want us to watch for people and say, I can see the word is touching them. I wonder if I could just pray for them after church. And the same for sisters when girls come in who desperately need us. I pray that we would be that for them. All right. So there it was. Can you even call that a sermon? I don't know. The, the talk? I, uh, was it a meditation? I don't know what that was. But it wasn't an exegesis of of the Second Kings 4. Not even close. I mean, we heard a lot about Sharon Kelly. Nothing about Jesus. And uh, just got to say, as a dude, um, wow. Um, Overall, my uncomfort level uh, really peaked there in that message. So what has happened to the church where they don't want to obey God's word by permitting women to preach? Pastors, preachers, teachers, whoever has the stage now doesn't teach anything of what God's word actually says. This is just absolute rubbish. This is codswallop being fed to these people as if it's a caviar dinner. And it's just ugly and terrible and false and deceptive and distracting. Church needs to repent. It's time for these people to go. And if they won't go, then the people need to leave. And go and find pastors who will preach the word and proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins. Wow. So what'd you think? I know it was a bit of a stretch. Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook facebook.com forward slash pirate christian follow me on twitter my name there at pirate christian till tomorrow may god richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by jesus christ his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins amen